Um, good morning. For those of you who do not know me, I find that inconceivable. Um, I'm Tom Hall. I'm one of the elders here, and I have problems trusting technology. I love it when it works. Okay, let's do this. Talk amongst yourselves. I got this. Okay. Now it's showing up, right? Okay, so we got to hit this button right here. Yeah! Okay, I haven't preached in a while, um, and I am feeling a little bit um, out of the rhythm. And post-surgery, my brain is working a little weird. So um, just like your computer, if I freeze up, just turn me on and off again, and I will be fine. <laughs> we'll do this. Okay. We have been doing an in-depth, deep dive into our mission statement that you can all see. So if you read it with me, please. We exist to be a people who embody and proclaim the life-giving fullness of the gospel. We are looking at our core values as we go through this and what it means to be a people. Um, I'd like you guys to memorize that. There will be a test next week. <laughs> Mike has done a fabulous job of working through the first few lines of this. The first one being that a biblical church is word-centered. We are centered, we are focused on the word, what the word of God says. And in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So to be word-centered is to be? Come on, Jesus-centered. Mike did this. Go back, review it. It's on YouTube. You can see it. So to be word-centered is to be Jesus-centered. Next, to be radically dependent. And to be radically dependent is to acknowledge our utter dependence on God to accomplish anything. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. Next, generously loving. Last week, if you were here, to be generously loving is to give of ourselves, our hearts, our time, our talents, and our finances to the glory of God. And what we will be talking about this morning is making disciples. Okay, now I gotta ask you, how many of you just got a little bit queasy and nervous and anxious making disciples? Oh, I heard one, yep. Does that make you nervous when you think about making disciples? Does that feel like something that is unusual to you, something a little out of place. I know for a number of years that was my case because we often have these excuses for being nervous about making disciples. Here are some of them. One, I was never discipled. How many of you feel that way? I felt that way for a long time. Hey, I, I was never discipled. How can I make disciples? I don't know how to disciple. So 
how can I make disciples if I don't never been discipled and I don't know how to disciple and maybe I'm too young or too old to disciple anyone because they know more than me or I'm younger than them and, and I don't know and maybe I'm too old and I'm scared to death of teenagers. Yeah, there's a few of you out there that I know are. They're not scary, okay? You can talk to them. Look them in the eye. Give them a greeting. I've been training them. Greet them. They will look you in the eye and greet you back. Yeah, it works. And how about this one? I don't know anybody that wants to be discipled. <laughs> you feel that way? I don't know anybody that wants to be discipled. Well, here's the thing. Our text today. Oh, wait. Number one, I don't have time. I don't got time to disciple anybody. Anybody feel that way? You know, I used to think, man, when I retire, I'm going to have all this time to do stuff. <sighs> Mike makes sure I don't have time because I'm too busy doing things, which I love to do. Our scripture this morning, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. So Jesus comes, he meets with his guys one last time. He's risen from the dead, he's meeting with them in Galilee, he's about to ascend to the Father and he gives them their final orders. The last thing he's going to say to them before he goes away. And he says, what? Go. Now, I've been around a long time. I remember missions conferences. You guys remember missions conferences at your church? Yeah. And when you saw this thing that said, go, what did you think of? It scared me to death. I was sure God was going to send me to some place. And, you know, at that time it was like Africa. You know, Africa. We got to go to deepest, darkest Africa. And we got to evangelize these people in deepest, darkest Africa. And the awkward missionaries would stand up front in their strange suits because they were out of style. And they would talk to us about being missionaries in deepest, darkest Africa, and we needed to go. And it scared me to death because I didn't want to go there and I didn't want to dress funny and be awkward. <laughs> so that's what I think about there when I see that, is go. But you know what it really means more than anything else? Get out of your chair. Get out of your comfort zone. Go where the people are. Because you can't disciple somebody sitting at home, reading a book. You can't decide, disciple somebody if you're sitting in front of your TV. You can't disciple somebody unless you are there with them. Okay? So, let's, let's lose the fear and the guilt out of the whole go thing. But we do got to get outside of our home, outside of our comfort zone, outside of what we know and what's familiar, and maybe get to know somebody else. Maybe even look a teenager in the eye. Okay? I know that's scary for some of you. So, what did he tell them after that? Make disciples. Right? But before we can make disciples, maybe we need to define what a disciple is. 
What exactly is a disciple? The Webster definition says, a pupil or follower of any teacher or school. Ah, it's a whole lot more than that. Biblically, a disciple is more than just an apprentice. Because an apprentice is there to do what? To learn. To learn what they're, well, if you're in a union, journeyman. Learn what the journeyman knows, right? Learn their skill, learn their trade, learn what it is they do, right? But biblically, a disciple wants to be just like his master. He wants to know what he knows, he wants to live like he lives, and he wants to be exactly the same as his, absolutely as much as he possibly can. We want to be Jesus-centered. That is a disciple. Okay. Let's move on. After he says, this is going to go really quick. I hope you're ready for a short one. Disciple knows Jesus. They don't just know about him. They know he was God in the flesh of a man, that he walked this earth exposed to the same kinds of fears, not fears, trials and temptations that are here and yet never sinned. Then he died an unjust death, shedding his blood for our sin. They know him. Disciples of Jesus know him. So then what did Jesus tell them? To go to everybody. See, again, I thought this meant, okay, I got to go somewhere where I don't speak the language and they don't look like me, they don't talk like me, they're way different than me. But when he said all of the nations, right? All the nations. How many people do you think were in Jerusalem that were not Israelites? A whole bunch. And I love the picture of him saying, you know, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem was their neighborhood. There were plenty of people in their neighborhood that weren't from where they were from, spoke different languages, had different cultures, had different ways of dressing. There's nobody that is excluded from the gospel. So we need to make disciples of anyone, anywhere, anytime, all the people. Okay? Next, he tells them to baptize them. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is important. A lot of times we kind of just gloss over baptism. But baptism is important because it's a personal, public statement of identification with Jesus. It's saying, hey, I am his. It is a public statement of identification and it is also a symbolic burial and resurrection being born again to new life in Jesus. As we dunk them, we practice full immersion baptism because we see the symbolism in 
being buried underneath the water and rising again to a new life, therefore born again. It's that public statement, I belong to Jesus. It's that symbolic death, burial, and resurrection to old life and raising again to a new life. Baptism is important. Now, Jesus gives the disciples a challenge of teaching them everything that he taught them. Teach them to follow all the commands that I have given you. Does that sound like a hefty task? It sounds like a really heavy thing to me. Teach them everything I taught you. That's a whole bunch. But he gives them then the thing of, hey, I'm with you to the end of the age. It always cracks me up when we see and behold, some versions say, lo. I think it's saying, hey, I'm with you to the end of the age. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm with you. I will help you do this. So, go make disciples of anybody, anywhere, anytime. Baptize them and teach them how to follow Jesus. Can you think of any biblical examples of what discipleship might look like? I have read the Bible through from cover to cover a whole bunch of times. And what I find is every time I read through it, something else sticks out at me that I was like, wait a minute, I know I read that before, but I didn't really see it. And I'll never forget when I finally caught a hold of the idea of where Moses and Joshua were in their relationship. Joshua was there from the beginning. If you look at where he was when he's first mentioned and you trace back, you go, hey, wait a minute. Joshua actually was with Moses and the people of Israel when they crossed the Red Sea. He walked across the Red Sea on dry land with the nation of Israel. He... <clears throat> yeah... I'm going to back up just a minute. Let me tell you a joke. Okay, when you think of Joshua, who do you think of? The guy in Sunday school song, right? Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came a-tumbling down. That's what I thought of when I thought of Joshua. But Joshua was not just the guy that fought the battle of Jericho. That's way on in his story. Joshua was there to cross the Red Sea. Joshua was there to see the miraculous providing of God in water from the rock. Joshua was there when the people grumbled about not having meat. And suddenly there was enough quail to feed like a million people. Joshua was there when the amazing miracle of manna on the ground in the morning with the dew. Joshua was there to see it. Joshua experienced all of that. Joshua 
was the one that Moses chose to lead the army when the Amalekites came out to battle against them. Remember that story? Joshua was on the Mount Sinai. Did you ever see that part? That was the one that made me go, hey, wait a minute. So Moses had been up on the mountain for a long time, received the the Ten Commandments from the Lord, and he's coming back down, and it says, and Joshua said, hey, there's noise in the camp, and it sounds like the noise of a battle. Joshua was there waiting for Moses to come back. He wanted to see what he was doing up there all that time, and he wanted to know. Joshua was there. Joshua went out to the tent of meeting with Moses. Remember, they had the tent of meeting outside the camp. It was a ways off. And when Moses would go out to the tent of meeting to talk with God and to hear from him, and all the, the nation of Israel, it says, would go out and they would stand by the door of their tent and they would watch him as he went out until he entered the tent. And then they went about their business. But he went in the tent and Joshua went with him and stayed by the tent. And then when, Josh, when Moses was done speaking with the Lord and came and went back into the camp, Joshua didn't want to leave the tent. Joshua had a serious case of FOMO. Right? Fear of missing out? Come on, guys. I'm looking at the teenagers. They're all nodding their heads. FOMO. Fear of missing out. He didn't want to miss anything that God was doing. And he knew that if God was there and Moses was talking to him, if Moses went back, he might just hang around and maybe God would talk to him too. He didn't want to miss out. Joshua was with Moses for 40 years in the desert, wandering around, seeing the miracles, hanging around at Moses' elbow to see if maybe something incredible would happen again today. How about today? How about today? Maybe another miracle happened today. This is awesome. Until it came time to go into the promised land. And Moses laid his hands on Joshua. And he put him in charge to lead the nation of Israel across the Jordan River and into the promised land, which Moses didn't get to see. He got to stand on a hill and look at it, but he didn't get to go with them. Moses discipled Joshua. Now, we're not told about a program. We're not told about a book. Here's how you go, okay, Discipleship 101. What we're told is that Joshua was there with Moses. They spent time together. If you're going to go and make disciples... You need to spend time with them. It's about a relationship. It's not about a program. It's not about a book. It's about a relationship and sharing how God has worked in your life and teaching them to obey all that he's commanded you. Here's the thing, okay? Talking to the kids again. Influencers, okay? We know about influencers, okay? There are people, old folks, there are people that post stuff on Instagram, okay? 
and people see it and they want to do what they do. So they go buy the products they use. They, they buy the same clothes they wear. They do all this stuff and they call them influencers. There was a time when someone in my house was posting um, about stuff on the Instagram and a company noticed what they were doing and they started sending her free stuff so that she would mention it on her Instagram because she was an influencer. You know what? We're all influencers. We have influence. We can be influence that point people to Jesus and help them become disciples. Disciples are disciplers. They make disciples for Jesus. If you are a disciple, you are meant to be a discipler. Sometimes, maybe you are unawares. Trust me, people are watching you. They're seeing what you do. They're seeing how you walk with Jesus. And sometimes they're going to imitate that, which scares me to death. I don't know about you, but it scares me. Let's talk about Jesus and his disciples. Jesus picked 12 nobodies from nowhere and discipled them. Again, they didn't want to just know what Jesus knew. They didn't want to just, you know, have access to the miracle power. They wanted to be just like Jesus. Jesus told them about the Father. He told them about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus told them all these things, laid hands on them, and sent them out in twos to preach the kingdom of God. And when they came back, their minds were blown. They were like, hey, we healed sick people. We cast out demons. Demons were listening to us because we did it in your name, and they left. This was absolutely amazing. Jesus passed what he had and what he knew on to his disciples. How long did he have those disciples? Only about three years. And yet, when he gave his disciples this marching orders, it's changed the world. The church is a reproductive organism. We're commanded to make disciples. It's not easy. It's not automatic. But if we are word-centered or Jesus-centered, it's the same thing if you want to do the theology behind it. If we are radically dependent and acknowledge our need because none of us really knows how to disciple because every disciple is different and we need to relate to them differently. We need to communicate with them differently. Sometimes we need to be scared to death of them because they're scary. Yeah. Teenagers aren't scary. Um, <laughs> I get to hang out with them at the landing and I just have so much fun messing with them. Okay. Um, <laughs> 
If we are radically dependent and acknowledging our need and our utter dependence on God to accomplish anything, we can disciple. If we are generously loving, giving of ourselves, our hearts, our time, our talents, and our finances for the glory of God, we can make disciples. And unless we do that, we are not going to be accomplishing what Jesus told us to do. I have a list. Part of what I did while I was preparing is I wrote up a list of people who had an influence in my life and steered my life in a direction of following Jesus. And I was amazed at how long that list was, number one. Number two, I don't think any one of them would say, yeah, I discipled Tom Hall. Pastor Dick Temple, when I was maybe 12 years old, through a series of circumstances, my family ended up going to a different church. We'd always gone to church, and we learned about Jesus, and we learned about God. We learned about how Jesus died for the sins of the world, and, but it didn't really seem to require anything of us. Um, it didn't really change the way we lived. We didn't really talk about God at home. And then all of a sudden, Pastor Dick Temple explained the gospel in a way that required something of me. He required me to make a decision about whether or not to accept the gift of Jesus dying for my sins. And I stalled for a while, but eventually I decided, yes, I wanted to follow Jesus. I wanted him to be my savior. I wanted him to forgive my sins. And I wanted to be like him. So I prayed and I asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins and made him Lord of my life. And then a, a few months after that, I was baptized because I wanted the world to know I followed Jesus. He was not just my Savior, he was my Lord. I followed him. And there was a guy by the name of Don Swickard. He was really, uh, yeah, strange and awkward, socially awkward. But he taught me um, about evangelism through a book called Evangelism Explosion. It was a cheesy 70s thing, but you know what? I learned about evangelism and how to have a conversation with somebody and share the gospel with them. I learned about the Romans Road. You guys remember the Romans Road? Okay, some of you older people... Younger people, we need to talk about the Romans Road, okay? Ask me later. We'll do this. And I remember having a New Testament that I carried in my back pocket, Gideon New Testament, by the way, when the Gideons could still come to the school and give out Bibles. Pocket New Testament had little red tabs on it for all the verses in the Romans Road so that I could open it and share with people. Don Swickard discipled me. I don't think he knew it, but he discipled me, and he challenged me to follow Jesus in making disciples, okay? I had a youth pastor. His name was Jim Peabody, okay? I don't remember a thing he taught me. What I remember is he loved me and he loved Jesus, and he pointed me to Jesus. He wouldn't have said that he discipled Tom Hall, but he did. He pointed me to Jesus.
I had a woman, um, <laughs> I'm going to get this wrong, Lucy Eby. Did I get it right? Okay, it's Bernice's sister. Um, saw something in me and said, hey, we have this high school, Sunday school class, and we've got nobody to teach them, would you do it? And I said, sure. And so I started teaching this high school, Sunday school class, and a couple of the, the guys came to me and they said, hey, we want more. I don't know why, these kids were hungry. They wanted more. Would you be willing to teach us a Bible study? And I said, sure. And I hate mornings, I hate it, but the only time they wanted to get together was 6 a.m. on Wednesday mornings before school. So I started teaching them Bible study, and then that turned into a bigger Bible study. And in the meantime, Carl Peterson became the youth pastor. And, well, Carl was involved in my life before that. He was the basketball coach for the church league basketball team when I was an obnoxious middle schooler, and he was a college student. Anyway, we played church league basketball, but Carl became the youth pastor, and he and I did youth ministry together, and we had this Bible study where we would meet in their living room and all sit on the floor and talk about the Bible and Jesus, and there are some people actually that attend this church that were in that Bible study when they were like 13 years old. I'll leave that to you to figure out. That Bible study went on for a long time, and then this crazy guy came to my church. His name was Larry Syme, and... And he was like, hey, we're going to do this adventure camping thing, tell kids about Jesus. And I was like, cool, because it kind of married my, my love of teenagers with my love of the outdoors and adventures, and I got to do both of them at the same time. And that introduced me to a guy named Don Thurman, who actually, he told me, was a pastor in this church a million years ago. I don't know if anybody's old enough to remember Don, but anyway. All of these people changed my life. All of these people challenged me to follow Jesus. All of these people put me in situations where I could disciple young people. And over the years, I've gotten to disciple a whole lot of young people. And a lot of it was in the weirdest places you could think of, hanging off a rope on the side of a rock and saying, hey, I'm scared, I don't know if I want to do this, and then we'd have a really good conversation about faith and trust. And where do you put that faith and trust? There are opportunities to disciple. And you don't have to make it weird and awkward. You don't have to have a book and a program. All you got to have is being word-centered, being radically dependent, being generously loving and you will make disciples. Will you pray with me? Father God, we are thankful for the people in our lives that pointed us to Jesus. We are thankful for the time that they put in in shaping our lives the people that we watched love you and made us want to love you. Lord, I pray that you would work on our hearts, Lord, that you would point us to opportunities um, in the landing and in the rising and in Ochoco Christian Camp and in Young Life 
and all the ministry opportunities there are in this town, the, the shelters, the, the, yeah, all of the different places that we can go and be with people and love them in your name. Lord, we want to make disciples. We want to be a disciple-making people. And I just pray that you would help us to examine where we are and what we're doing and see how you are working through us to make disciples. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.